biggest rush my dad got wasn't from writing good copy or making something that would work and build a business. Hey, podcast listener, you're about to discover insider tips, tricks, and secrets to making more sales and converting more prospects into customers with email marketing. For more information about the email marketing podcast or the autoresponder guide, go to dropdeadcopy.com slash podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the podcast. I'm David Allen from makewordspay.com. And this next episode here that you're about to listen to is very special. In fact, this is part one of a two-part series that I'm doing where I interviewed Bond Halbert. Now, almost two years ago now, very close, I sat down with Bond Halbert. He was extremely gracious with his time. We talked for almost three hours. And over the next two episodes of the Email Marketing Podcast, I'm going to release close to about an hour of that information. Now, uh, Gary Halbert, Bond's father, is the main reason I got involved in copywriting and marketing. Uh, he was my uh, gateway drug, if you will. And in this first part, Bond's really going to pull back the curtain a little bit on the Halbert family. He's going to tell some great Gary Halbert stories. He's going to give you some real food for thought. And a lot of this stuff will mean different things to different people, depending on what section of your journey, what stage you're on in your own journey, in your own life. These things are going to mean different things to everybody. But there's some great information here, some things that really get you thinking about how you're doing stuff, perhaps. And uh, I hope you enjoy them, because first and foremost, we do these episodes for the listeners. And I know there's a lot of Gary Halbert fans out there, and then there will be a lot of Bond Halbert fans, I'm sure, out there after this. Uh, so enjoy. We're just going to dive right in. And welcome, Bond Halbert, to the podcast. Bond, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I think it was uh, Pauline Longden who connected us, if I remember correctly. Uh, may have uh, originally, I mean, I've listened to your dad's stuff and read your dad's stuff many years. That's actually why I got into copywriting, which I'm sure is a pretty common story from the people we've had on this show. Uh, but, yeah. you, but you actually lived it. The, yeah, I actually started his <laughs> career the day I was born. So Wow, so I, that's something I didn't even know. Since then, of course, now I never got to meet your father because I got into this long after uh, he had passed away, unfortunately. You know, I don't want to turn this into a show about your father, but maybe, you know, take us back to those sort of halcyon days, if you will, when you were growing up. For people who haven't read uh, maybe some of the books that have been put out about it, you know, your uh, your dad's life and, and his connection with you and, and your brother. And sort of give us sort of the, uh, maybe, you know, a few insights into how, how crazy a time that was. Did people realize this was a really crazy time or was it just, you know, uh, it seemed like normal business stuff going on? Well, I'll tell you what. Um, first, I never mind talking about my father. That's I love talking about him so that's not an issue and I also don't mind if you ask me any question that has nothing to do with my father so I'm, I'm, an, op I'm an open book that way the other thing is you know I'm going to give you some answers that I don't typically give so that you're not hearing just the same old story of you know him and my his and my relationship from you know the get-go and stuff like that okay. um, my dad was a very strange character and um, one of the things that I, I always separate his life into phases, you know, the way that I think about it, because he, he radically changed his existence and the way he thought and the way he operated at different parts in his life. And I think a lot of people do that. I just don't think they do that to the extreme with which he did it. Right. So 
to give you an idea, you know, my dad was um, born in a very small town, and, and he lived in he lived in Barberton, Ohio, and that's where he grew up. And he was a guy who, you know, according to my grandmother, was always walked out of the house with a pocket full of vegetables and a bunch of books to read because he always had his head in books. I think that was his escape, and so I think that. You know, a lot of the stuff I'm going to tell you kind of led up to him being a master of persuasion and things. And these aren't things that I've really shared very much before. With uh, I'm giving you sort of an exclusive here. Nice. Nice. <laughs> I like this. I like this. Well, because I get tired of giving everybody the same old answer about how sure. he picked me to start, you know, uh, mentoring so so much. But the um, one of the uh, so that was one thing that was going on. And I found that I, that I learned a lot of stuff about my father. In retrospect, that I think, um, you know, that I don't think he really recognized about himself. Um, there's two things, and mainly in particular. One is I find that most people have an, uh, a relationship with money, and it's based on emotions and, you know, um, what they what they are attachment to it when they feel like when they're growing up. So, like, you ever wonder why somebody's got $3 billion, yet they still keep working really hard, um, and, you know, they don't take time off. And yeah. it's because they, for the most part, I'm not saying this is everybody, I don't believe in absolutes, but for the most part, what they were is kind of emotionally scarred about money, about being poor when they were kids. You know, they remember these issues, and so they swear to themselves that they're never going to be poor again, you know? Uh, and or they or they have a you know my dad had a very unique relationship with money which was he loved to make it but he also loved to blow it <laughs> it was really strange he did right and I think when he was growing up what he did what it, it had nothing to do with the money I think uh, I think the very first thing that happened with him was my dad wasn't an ugly person at all but he wasn't you know he wasn't classically handsome you know what I'm saying he wasn't you know he wasn't going to go. Yeah. Yeah, he just wasn't going to be discovered at Schwab's um, pharmacy and thrown into the movies all of a sudden. You know, and he had glasses. And back then when you had glasses, especially thick Coke bottle type glasses, you know, um, it, it was a, you know, it was more of a killer. <laughs> you know, um, but he also didn't have money. You know, his parents, um, you know, they were they were working very working class, but they weren't um, they weren't vacationing in Paris or anything like that. And I think. The, and he was very smart and he was very well read. And I think what he learned to do was hone his skills of persuasion because that was his power. You know, people get their power from being cute or to get their power from being, um, you know, having wealth or being popular or stuff like that. I think he got his power from learning to be a really persuasive guy and being um, pretty intelligent. Right. And so I think that led later on, you know, in the story of his life to becoming a, a, a great copy. And then next phase of his life is he wanted to get out of his small town, so he went and joined the military, as most men did in mid-small Midwestern towns who you know, had no chances of really going to college because right. it wasn't going to be paid for and stuff. So he became a military policeman on a base in Germany uh, after World War II, and so he went and joined that, not realizing – I guess, well, maybe he did, knew it at the time, but he just was not built for the military. You know, Gary <laughs> Helbert wasn't a guy to really take orders from stuff like that. Right. It seems obvious now. And I think that, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the funny thing is, I think there's, I think that's where he learned to be, learned to hustle. I mean, he, he talks about hustling pool sometimes when he was younger than that in between, you know, uh, you know, late teens and going into the military. But he would, you know, that's, he, he did little things like loan sharking uh, and he would, uh, 
he was not really built for the military. In fact, he told me, and this is also something else I, don't, I think is an exclusive. <laughs> he told me, he said, you know, there was this one guy who was, was his uh, sergeant was in charge of going around and talking to these guys and getting them to re-up, to re-enlist in the military. And, um, you know, they got some, you know, they were incentivized to do this, but he did, they didn't even bother asking. <laughs> they just, they just knew he was, you know, he, he was not a fit and was not going to stay or anything like that. So, so now he comes back to Ohio. Um, after that, and he had um, he had married his first wife in 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 Germany. Cut, came back to Ohio, where he had sent while well, he was finishing his stint. He had sent first wife back, and they had three children together. And then what happened was. Um, you know, he was just right now. He's just a typical guy. He's you know, he falls into sales. He does a lot of Dorothy Bose was the people who uh, they were the people who sold you postage machine. Okay. And um, they worked with, uh, and so that was kind of critical in, in making this jump from uh, working in in face-to-face sales into working to remote control sales via direct mail. And he got a hold of these guides called the direct mail guides, and he just instantly knew what he wanted to do the rest of his life. And he said he wanted to go into direct into into marketing. This all happened right around 1968. And then what happened was he got into an argument with his boss. And this was like the day before I was born, uh, before wearing or about wearing orange sock to work. And my dad, that really pissed him off. And my dad was sitting there talking to my mom, and he said, you know, by this time he had divorced his first wife, and he had married my mother, and they had already had my uh, Kevin. Right. And he turned to her, and he said, you know, I just, you know, I, if life doesn't get better than this, I just hate it. I don't want to do it. And she goes, well, why don't you do what you want to do and follow your dream? And he's like, well, you know, I guess will you support and stand by me uh, when you, you know, when you do this? And she said, sure. And so then they started doing, he started following his dream of being in direct mail. He started Started reading all of the books, um, study, you know, running test mailings and making offers and stuff like that. Right. And they would even sometimes. I remember they tell me a story that they're sitting in the dark because they'd use the electric money for the electricity bill on uh, postage to do a test mailing. So that's another insight into my father. My father was an all-in kind of guy. If it weren't for my mother, we wouldn't have had any stability growing up. <laughs> yeah. And anyway, so that then he's you know testing and making issues. Uh, problems and he comes he stumbles upon a breakthrough um i could go on for an hour explaining why all the things that made this a breakthrough because he it wasn't just one but he ended up writing what turned out to be one of the most widely mailed sales letters in history selling coats of arms people's family histories and reports and stuff and then you know they'd sell you a report and then they would sell you a fancy you know that you could a fancy report that you could frame and then they would sell you coat of arms and other heraldic items And then he goes from being, you know, an average, you know, I don't know, lower middle class guy to being like the richest guy in town. Now, and I remember now, all this. Now maybe touch, yeah, well, that, I was going to say, because maybe touch on that, because when I found out about uh, your father, it was because I had purchased a product, which uh, he had written a sales letter for, according to what I know anyways. And I can still remember being the feeling of waiting for that package to come and reading oh, the, the sales material. You know, which to me at the time as a 19 year old was just like, here's what it's going to contain. And I was reading the bullets and stuff, which I didn't even know were called bullets then. And, uh, and say, man, this is going to be so cool. You know, the one thing not to do when you step into a gym or whatever. And then when I found out it was your father uh, years later, probably a good 10 years later, maybe close to 10 years, I was like, that guy must know something because 
I can still, to this day, even talking right now, feel the anticipation of that package arriving and what it was going to contain. And so maybe, you know, and then when I did the research on your father, of course, I heard about the coat of arms letter and uh, them purchasing, you know, a floor and then a whole building and all this stuff to catch, to, to uh, go through the checks that were coming in. So I'm eager to hear from your perspective sort of what that particular period was like and how crazy it was. It was hectic. You know, my dad's ego kind of exploded, but my dad had this epiphany, which was he needs to stop listening to everybody. Because the way that that worked is, you know, he was going through and trying all these things. And you'll hear people talk about gun to the head marketing as a phrase. A lot of people don't understand that really was my my father is the one who kind of even coined the phrase for that, because what he did was he sat down after getting no results. And he said, you know, okay, Gary, imagine somebody's got a gun to your head and he's going to pull that trigger. If you don't make this work, what would you do differently? And so he started break. That's when he started breaking the rules of direct mail. He said, "Okay, I wouldn't mail at bulk rate because that tells everybody it's just a piece of junk mail." And I would use an actual honest to God stamp. And I wouldn't, you know, I'm not going to put in teaser copy other than maybe first class or personal on it. And he started making these changes based on his own thinking. And it worked. And because of that, my dad learned to never do things the way that other people did it again. And it was everything in his life. Right. He did the opposite. (laughs) It's like the George Costanza school of living. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden he'd give his children unique names back when nobody did that. (laughs) Now now everybody's misspelling a name to make your name unique on purpose and (laughs) doing all that. When I was growing up, I was the only kid with a unique name that you couldn't translate into something else. You know, people would come over from Russia and then they would say, okay, I got to Americanize it. And all of a sudden they become Alps, right? right? I was the only one who had this completely unique name that nobody could, you know, I mean, there was no nickname for it. Anyway, but it was everything. Everything he did and thought, he thought about doing his own way or, you know, doing it in a different way. And many times he'd do, he would experiment and things would get all foobar. Sometimes it would all work. But he started, you know, that changed the way that he thought about everything because he's now got massive success, a lots of money, and he got it by not listening or giving a crap what anybody else thought. And he continued with that for the rest of his life. And um, so he was a fully committed guy. And then what he would do is, you know, he ended up with having like no respect for money and the fact that he never took money and invested it and, you know, would buy properties. And he always felt that, you know, if you don't spend it, somebody's going to come and take it away from you anyway. <laughs> right. um, and so one of the things that he would do, and I real, didn't realize this till later in life, is he blew all of his money on purpose because the biggest rush my dad got wasn't from writing good copy or making something that would work and build a business. It was from being almost dead broke to making a huge winner. That's what he was okay. really do all the time. It was like a gambler, you know, doesn't just, you know, doesn't feel excited because they got one blackjack hand. A gambler feels excitement when they're really down and then they come back big. Right. right? That's where the that's where all the endorphins and everything starts yeah. rushing. Head. I, I think I have a slight problem with that myself, unfortunately. So, my, well, unfortunate for your children then, because we were on this roller coaster ride. I mean, we would go from being the richest people in town to seeing my dad scrounge for change in the in the cushions to look, you know, get gas to put gas in the car, right. um, to being back on top and rich again in six months, to being, you know, to blowing it all. I mean, and no, I mean, he really knew how to blow money and have nothing to show for it. <laughs> It was amazing. Um, <laughs> what sort of stuff was he blowing his money on? Cars? Well, my favorite houses. example is he went, one time he bought a 19 or I think it, no, it was like a 20-something foot houseboat. And he bought it from some astronaut for like 
I don't know, like 11 to 19 grand. I forget the exact amount. I remember I was cutting the check for it. Um, But he bought this houseboat, and then I added it up. He ended up, would make changes and say, you know, I want that wood pulled out and put in linoleum. Now, I don't like the linoleum, he put in wood. And he would hire people to paint it, and people would paint it at like $60 an hour because they were just boat mechanics, right? Right. And he spent a quarter of a million dollars refurbishing that stupid boat several times. And it sank twice, I think, you know, uh, from freshwater line. It was filled with fresh water, and the boat, would get, the boat went down in the dock that it was in. Um, he would pick up and move all the time. My dad, we moved down. And one time, this is another example of all in. I called him one time. I was here in L.A. And I said, hey, what you doing? And he says, oh, or actually, I think he called me. And I said, what are you doing? And he says, oh, I'm down in Florida. And I go, oh, what are you doing down there? He said, I moved. I said, what? <laughs> he told me he had moved. He said, you want to come down and um, we're going to take a trip down the Keys. You want to come down and go scuba diving? I'll pay for your lessons and all that. And I said, OK. And I went down there and then we took a trip down to the Keys. And on a whim, we met up with his uncle, Jack, my grandfather's brother, and he managed properties down in the Keys. And we found this great little place that had a little house and a dock right on the Gulf of Mexico. We moved to the Keys. <laughs> Just like that. And then even in the Keys, we'd go to the Key West and back to Marathon. And we were down there for like five years. And then I came back to L.A. to – I went back to finish school to do other things with you know my life in the Key would just go back and forth between the Keys and Miami all the time. You know, I mean, moving, not like, you know, I'm going to keep a place here and keep a place there. Right. He'd just say, you know, I need to, you know, Miami sucks and it's hustle and bustle, and he'd go down to the Keys. And then Keys, he'd be like, oh, man, everybody's really, you know, it's slow down here and pace, and nobody's, you know, this isn't the, my kind of people and everything. He'd go back to Miami, you know, I mean, it was, and he'd just go back and forth. Right. <laughs> he was never That's really great. happy that way but so you know it was a rocky it was a rocky up and down thing but the great thing is is i learned to take benefit from the way that my mom lived and thought and the way that my dad did and the way that my father did was you know he taught me to not accept everybody's standard answers for things um just because people say you can't do it or it's never been done doesn't mean it can't be done and he taught me to experiment and the one thing that all of this really did show me and teach me is that you know the quality of your life is is based on how you spend it and how or and how you spend your life and how you think you do need enough money to you know, so your children aren't in need of medical attention or food. Right. You do not need, you know, after a certain amount of money, you just swap the stress for, you know, how to, you know, how to invest this without having to pay a lot of taxes on it and, and not let a lot of people know what you've got because, you, yeah. you know, you're going to be kidnapped and robbed. I mean, you know, right. we were the targets of a home invasion robbery and later on with my own success, I was targeted. Um, but fortunately for me, through all the things that my dad went through, I was able to learn from his mistakes and hold off. Uh, you know, uh, repeating. And, he, you know, it's because he taught me. I give him right. credit for it. But I give him credit for the reason that I didn't have to go do a stint in Boron. I give him credit for the reason that people, you know, didn't, I didn't, you know, get to be a home invasion robbery because, you know, I'd learned from what he had done. And right. I'd learned, you know, I learned from his mistakes as well as from his, his, uh, his wins. And, you know, so for the most part, I'm, I'm a guy who, you know, figures out what I what I like and what I want to do. You know, yeah. I get invited to speak in places all the time. And for the most part, I don't enjoy it. So I don't do it. You know, and I did do it a lot. And I, you know, even spoke sometimes when I was with my father um, at conferences and stuff. You know, he'd be he'd, he'd throw me under the bus and say, you know, I got to go to the bathroom. Go up there and give my APOW, BPOW speech. <laughs> 
you know, so I know a lot of my father's speeches, you know, right. by heart. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I figured out, you know, the, for me, it's about how I want to spend and live my life and looking at the more longer term overall picture and, you know, understanding that I'm going to change. You know, right now I'm at the stage where I love spending time with my children and everything. But when my ki- children are teenagers, they're going to be like, you know, whatever, dad, and they're not going to want to hang out with me nearly as much. And so, you know, that's the time where I plan on traveling more. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, you know, the thing is, most people, you know, they think, oh, you know, my, my kid, he's going to always love and, you know, want to spend time with me. And <laughs> I, I see life as this progress or this journey and, you know, try to learn to have fun yeah. at the beginning, in the middle and at the end of the trip. So. Well, it sounds like that's something you've taken from your father as well, because he didn't never seem to be a dull moment, but he was clearly enjoying yeah, himself. Never, you know, true, but he never prepared for the next phase. Right. That's the that's the only downside I would say about what he the way that he behaved is he never prepared for the next phase. Do you think now when when he passed away, you know, I uh, I learned a lot about business because uh, I I was lucky enough to meet uh, somebody, and we'll actually talk a little bit about this in a, in a little bit because there may be a connection with your father to this, but. Uh, from a guy named uh, Arthur Jones, who had started the uh, Nautilus exercise equipment company, who was out mm-hmm. of Florida. Now, he he told me, uh, and I think it bore out, that uh, he never wanted to leave any money to his kids whatsoever because he thought <laughs> it would destroy his kids if they were just handed uh, money. So I don't know if your father had a similar, you know, similar reservations about, you know, leaving somebody rich who didn't acquire it through their own means or or whatever. You know what I mean? I mean, did he have any hangups in that regard or ever say anything in that regard? Well, the only thing he ever said one time we were cruising in the car. I remember this. And I said, well, are you going to fill out your will and everything? He goes, no, I'm going to laugh at watching, you know, your your siblings and everybody fight over everything. And he said, I'm not going to give anybody a profit motive to kill, you know, for me, for, for me to die. Um, so that was, the, but, but I mean, that was really, it was that quick. It was that cheeky. Right. That was the only thing he had said. But he had once told me, he says, you know, I never, ever worry about you. And I said, why is that? And he said, because you always get your way. He goes, you know, and, I don't, and he took some good credit for that. He's like, you know, if you want something, it doesn't make a difference what it is. You get it and you get it from people if you need something from people or you get, you know, right. you've never failed to get your thing. So he was never worried about me, me or any of us being able to get what we want. Um, and the funny thing was, is when he when he listed off and so and so is going to do this and so and so is going to do this and so and so is going to do this, he was wrong. He got everybody's he got everybody's role <laughs> incorrect um, when it, when he actually did pass away. But the um, uh, but you know, and I had said to him, you wanted to go, but let me get this straight. And I'll say, you want so and so to get this, so and so to get this, so and so to get this, and so forth. And he goes, yeah. He said, "Yeah, but he never left a. He didn't. Um, he didn't leave will. a. He didn't leave an official will. But it was funny because everybody knew. You know, if, you know, if you could be with my father for, you couldn't be with my father more than a day without hearing from me. You know, I mean, because yeah. he or, or about me because right. we we were that close. People talk about their, you know, being close with their parents, and everybody loves their parents. Sure, but I sure. knew absolutely everything about my dad, and he knew everything about me, and nothing was left unsaid. In fact, it's funny because when people get mad at me." They they try and send me some hate mail, and it's always like your father would not be proud, blah blah, blah you know, like this. 
and it's hysterical because it's like, yeah, you who didn't, who never knew him, and he would be very. Yeah. Forget the newsletter where he talks about how I'm the wisest person he ever knew. Right. And, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, they, it's they don't read so, apparently. Well, what I what I love about it is it's like somebody trying to attack you with a nerf, right? It's 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 more humorous. Now they've still got you know ill will toward. It's just that they don't realize that they've chosen a, a weapon that just will not work. <laughs> Um, and they also, you know, some things that they don't realize now, I don't, I've, I've let a few people know this, but you know, it's not because it's, it, you have to understand. I only explain this after you understand what an immense level of respect and credit I give my father. But the truth is, you know, he, the, the most money he ever took home was from a business that we built together. And that was based on my idea. Nice. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know that because I, you know, I don't, you know, the thing is when you're. You know, Frank Sinatra's kid, you never, you don't even bother trying to explain or sing one of his classics or anything like that because these people, you know, they don't. They don't want that. You know, people read the the Boron letters and like, you know, I just imagine he was my father. They basically, you yeah. know, and, and you don't want to take that away from him. And it's not fair and it's and it's not kind and it's not in any way whatsoever. And I don't take anything away from my father. And so you, you have to know that. Like when he first passed away, everybody came to me and said, you know, can we interview and ask you questions about your dad? I said the same thing I said at the beginning of this, which is sure. I mean, I love talking about my dad. We can make this 100% about my dad. And then after a little while, they'd realize, oh, wow, you know, because I'd answer a question and explain something. And they're like, wow, you really know what you're talking about. And so eventually <laughs> the interview started getting to be about 50-50, you know, right. about my dad, 50 right. minutes about me. And then in the last two years, this this particular one is the longest interview I've given about my father in a few years. Wow. Um, because they end up going, well, how did you do this? Or how did you do that? Because right. what my dad taught me to do was tinker. And he right. taught me to, you know, to experiment and try and create new things. And, you know, you can write, you know, my dad, when he wrote an ad, if it broke even, other people would go and make a business off that. And he knew how to do that too. He, they would break even, then take the names that they got and back in them. And that's right. where the profit came. My dad, if he broke even, would take the ad and rip it up, throw it away and go strike and do something else. <laughs> he didn't, <clears throat> he never played, it's like playing baseball. He never shot for singles and doubles that right. none of that counted to him he either wanted to strike out or hit a homer so it was the rush yeah yeah and he became the home home run king yeah. but so many of the ads that broke even and so forth went and lie dormant or did, nothing was done with them and he would even say you know you give this to a guy like eric who's a good you know good with money and management you know he'd make a million dollars off of this but i you know you know that's you know my dad was not about building businesses neither right. am i right. he was about tinkering and you know patting himself on the back and then getting bored and finding something else out to tinker with right you know and what he would do is you know a lot of it was like problem solved like with the you know in the uh new book that i that i just recently put out well i was sitting there thinking well let me go back and you know my first goal when i put out the first book which was the boron letters now my dad had already put out the boron letters in fact there's digital copy online for free you can go to the gary letter.com and read but what i did was update the book right and put it out so that it's available in kindle and print format and stuff like that and it became wildly successful in fact it was a surprise to me considering you know the day and age where everybody likes something for free right and what happened was i didn't just put that out and makes you know that wasn't the book the success of that book isn't based on me what is though is i got Amazon to actually sell it for me. 
because when I did this, everybody won. They're like, well, I want to be a number one bestseller. I'm like, well, that's that's easy. It's a small niche. You know, we can do that. And um, what else do we want from this? And I said, you know, I want Amazon to sell it for me. And so I went through all of these different kind of um, – uh, I did these different promotional strategies. Some I'd seen or gotten a glimpse of and other things I did that was the first one to see do. And I would – and I built a list. And I'm going to cut to the short. I mean I could give you a long list of things sure. on how to become a uh, – how to get Amazon to help sell your stuff for you. But the first thing I did was think, you know, there's an algorithm that they determine what book that they want to put next to another book right. and what book they want to sell, especially the physical print book because back then – this was before Prime was really big, and what would happen is you would see, you would go to buy a print book, and you realize that if you spent just twenty more dollars or whatever, you would get the shipping free, right? right? And the right. shipping costs were about the same as the book, so it's, you know, it was like, why not choose another book to buy? Exactly. So I said to myself, what do these what do these people really want um, to to make that decision? Because it's an algorithm, but the algorithm is written by people. Human being made the decision that this is what they wanted to see. And so what I did was I went and I, you know, I said they're probably going to see it stay number one for a while. So I set up my promotions so that it would sell. And then it's instead of being everything timed for a big mad rush, I would just let it go until it hit number one. Then I would ease off the promoting. And then when it slipped to two, I would add some more promotion or release some or make another right. announcement somewhere or give another incentive for people to buy it. And I would go back and forth and do that. So I would say, OK, now we're going to do a webinar. And if you send in and show me a copy of your book. And then I would have them give me advertising and I would say, okay, if you want in on this next webinar, you have to hold up a copy of the Born Letters. I don't care what copy it is. Right. And the reason... The reason for that is if you're into marketing and you're on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, you have other friends who are into marketing too. Yep. And so when they wake up and see three of their friends with these big grins on their face showing up their, showing up a book, they, they go, what's that book? The social proof and the social clout there is really insane, right? Right. And so, what I, you know, and so they would buy it. And so what a lot of people didn't realize is I was building a list. I was right. building a list of, of people. And... Then what I did was I got, you know, so Amazon sees that there's a lot of organic reviews. They see that this has stayed number one for a while. It's not a cheap book. I never sold mine for a dollar. You know, it's a lot easier to see because Amazon ranks you on number of books downloaded, not sales made, not dollar amount. Not dollar amount. Okay. So your number, if you're a number one bestseller, you, you know, in a small niche, you've sold, you know, a certain number of books, but somebody who just, you know, got a bunch of people to download it for 99 cents, you know, they can, they can kind of beat you if they have a good sized list and they're doing that. Um, right. But I kept it number one at an, a good at, a, at the pri- the prime price that they want, right? right. Which was nine ninety nine. Okay. Any case, because um, I'm because you know what? If you're going to say people who bought this also bought this book, it's not going to usually be a ninety nine cent book. Right. You know, it will be in the in the short term, but not in the long term. And so then what I did was I told everybody to buy somebody else's book and that immediately tied it to it. Now, in this case, it was John Carlton's book because John uh, had released his book about a week after I had released mine. Okay. And I told everybody to go buy his book and a bunch of people did. And so Amazon saw that, you know, people who bought this bought this (laughs) and they connected it all together. Yeah. Well, John. John Carlton calls me and he says, how'd you get people to, how'd you get Amazon to send an email to my book buyer selling your book? And I didn't even know they did this. <laughs> you know, I, I was just put it, trying to get my book into that people. Into the suggestion this, box, also yeah. This. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, really? And then it, this is what good marketing is about that my dad taught me, which most people miss. It's experimenting. And when you hit something right, you try and see if you can replicate the results and do it again. And that's the end of our first part, part one of my interview with Bond Halbert. 
Tune back in next week when we'll go through part two. Hope you have a happy holidays. Merry Christmas, whatever it is you're celebrating. And we'll talk to you next week. And if you're a business owner listening to this podcast right now, I have a special offer for you. If you go over to makewordspay.com and book a strategy call with me, it costs $500, then I will find at least $10,000 that you've not seen hiding in your business right now. $500 is the cost of the call. I'm looking for one more person right now to work with. And on that one call, if I can't find at least $10,000 just hiding in your business, just lying around unclaimed already by you, I will refund that $500. I mean, think about that for a second. How many times would you trade me $500 for $10,000? Go over to MakeWordsPay.com and let's get together. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. If you want to discover more insider tips, tricks, and secrets about driving sales with email marketing, sign up for daily email tips from the autoresponder guy. Go to dropdeadcopy.com slash podcast, sign up, confirm your email address, and I'll send you daily emails on how to improve your email marketing and make more sales via email. You'll find out why open rates don't matter and the seven-letter word that underlies all effective marketing and much more.